You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Our, uh, our church now for several weeks, we've been doing a uh, small group Bible study entitled Real Marriage. It's based upon a book that Mark Driscoll, the pastor of Mars Hill Church, and his wife Grace uh, put together, and they also designed the, the small group Bible study that we're using. And um, since that was going to be our, our spring semester study for our small groups, we wanted to um, start back at, you know, close to uh, Valentine's Day and start focusing upon this topic of marriage. So that's why we're doing uh, the series. Um, the part that we're in right now about real marriage deals with a, with a sexual relationship in, in marriage. So last week, we looked at a, a biblical view of, uh, of sex. Some people are not even maybe aware that there is a biblical view of sex because our culture has turned it into something dirty and something that's shameful when the truth of the matter is God created it. And as long as it's practiced in the right realm, it is not dirty or shameful at all. Uh, three primary views that we looked at last week uh, were these. Some people make sex to be their God and they kindly worship it and they build their life around it. Uh, some people look at it, and this is where the church makes its mistake a lot of times. We look at it as though it's ungodly or, or gross, and we kind of go to the extreme in the other direction. When the truth of the matter is this, God made us the way that he made us. He's given us the desires that he's given us. So uh, when, when you think about that from that standpoint, uh, sex is really a gift that God created uh, to be enjoyed by a man and a woman who are married together. You know, get the really technical uh, jargon there because that's the only way it ought to be practiced. That's the biblical view of, uh, of sex. There is a worldly view of it, though, that's being propagated by uh, this industry called pornography. So what we're talking about today is pornography and trying to get a biblical viewpoint of pornography. Not just pornography. We're also going to talk about, uh, you know, grace um, at, the, at the end of the message. But uh, pornography is really uh, affecting the viewpoint that people have of a uh, of, of biblical viewpoint of sex. Uh, children are being introduced to it all the more younger now because of the Internet and things like that. So it's affecting their perception of, uh, of what the sexual relationship is really all about. Uh, some men are pursuing pornography instead of pursuing their spouse, uh, their wife, as they should uh, in order to have the right kind of, uh, of relationship. Um, it is injuring people, not just the person that might view it, but the industry as a whole uh, causes people to be uh, abused, uh, causes people to be viewed as less than they ought to be. Uh, it's real easy for someone to uh, you know, look at the image on the screen or in a magazine and start viewing a person almost as being an object instead of a person. So once you start to have that viewpoint, it's easy to start to treat a person like an object instead of a person that has value. And that happens a lot uh, because of pornography in our, in our world today. There are you know, women who are being abused, sometimes even men uh, being abused, children being abducted. And uh, it just goes a lot deeper and causes a lot more problems than we might like to, uh, to recognize. Um, a lot of times we'll try and come up with excuses and people try and make it sound like, well, it's, you know, everybody's doing it uh, as long as it's just someone in their own privacy. It's not hurting anyone. And to be honest with you, our, uh, our culture has kind of become so desensitized to it that, that we just have a completely wrong view. We think it's just something that's normal. I think maybe a good way to view it would be this. I think pornography is probably the devil's cheap substitution for the real thing that God wants to give you. That may be a very good way to think about it and, and view it. Uh, so let's get a definition of it before we actually jump into talking about it, because you may be wondering, all right, what do you mean by, by that word pornography? Well, I, I think a good definition would be this. Movies, photos, websites that are sexually explicit. I, I think you have to involve the, the hardcore and the softcore, if you understand uh, that terminology, what I'm talking about. To be honest with you, there are some things today that, um, uh, that you, know, you can just see standing in the grocery aisle that years ago you would never see you know, displayed. You remember I'm old, so when I used to ride my horse up, my pony up to the store to go shopping you know, years ago before automobiles and things like that, all that stuff was hid under the counter. 
but now you can stand there in the grocery line and see things that used to they would hide under cover. You know, uh, I, I'm telling you, you know, the, the, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition being their most, you know, sold uh, uh, copy version does not have anything to do with sports. You understand that? You know, when it comes out. Because there, there's a culture that's being driven by just the wrong thing. And, and like I said, I think even the soft core can cause your mind to go places it doesn't really need to go. Uh, I think maybe you might even need to throw into this idea of, of, of pornography uh, some of the romance novels that are out there uh, because it can cause you know, your mind to go places. Now, not me and the guys are reading those. You know, the, the ladies may read those. But listen, if it causes you to have in your imagination these types of images, then it fits the, the, the title that we're given to pornography today. You know, God can see what you see. Sometimes pornography is an image, you know, that you're looking at. Sometimes it's your mind and imagination. God not only sees what you see, He knows what you think. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why I think we need to view it uh, with a bigger spectrum than what we do um, sometimes. In, uh, in the book that Mark uh, uh, writes in this chapter... He deals with some things I'm not actually going to deal with today, uh, really for time's sake, because I'm kind of covering two topics today. If you're in a small group and you've been reading along in your book, you understand the topic that your small group is studying this week is probably disgrace and grace. And disgrace and grace deals with this. If you have sinned sexually or you've been sinned against sexually, you know, there's a lot of shame that goes with it, and you need to know how to get beyond that and experience God's grace and apply it. Uh, I'm going to finish up talking about that at the end of today's message. I think it's more logical, and the reason I'm doing both of these today, I think it's more logical to talk about the, the pornography problem, the porn path that a lot of people choose, uh, and then talk about disgrace and grace because guess what? The, the problem with, with pornography also will give reason for people to have shame and need you know, to experience grace in their life. So that's why I reverse those two things. Um, so here's what we're going to start out talking about to begin with. We're going to look at the, at the porn path. The porn path is what we're looking at today. How a lot of people choose pornography uh, and let it be like a cheap substitute for what God really uh, wants you to experience in, in your life. And then we'll deal with uh, disgrace and grace. I want you to look at three aspects uh, of this thing called pornography today. We're going to look at some statistics that I actually showed you last week to begin with, and then we're going to look at the Scriptures because, you see, what matters is not what you and I think or what our culture says, but what God says. Amen? That's what matters uh, about something. And, and then we're also going to talk about kind of, you know, the truth that, you know, porn's not really free, even though, you know, they try and make it sound like it is, uh, sometimes on websites and, and, and things like that. So let's look at, at it statistically because... These same statistics we viewed last week should communicate volumes to us how serious the problem is. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, just going to hit them again because I used them last week. But the, uh, the annual pornography revenues uh, worldwide are more than $90 billion. In the United States, it's $13 billion, and that's a six-year-old statistic. So I wonder, you know, how bad it is now. Uh, if you were to put together baseball, basketball, and football professionally, that's more revenue that comes in than those three sports bring in. Uh, if you were to put the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC together, uh, pornography brings in more revenues than those uh, do. Uh, porn sites account for about 12% of all internet sites every day. 2.5 million uh, pornographic emails are sent. We don't even have the stats to tell you, you know, how many pornographic texts might be sent out uh, and, and things like that where, you know, where they're texting. Uh, 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed porn online. The average age of the first porn internet observation is 11. Uh, the number one consumer of online pornography is 12 to 16 year old. Uh, old boys, so like if you've got a sixth grader and you're wondering when you should talk to him about sex, probably a couple of years ago, you know, was when would have been a good, good time for that. Uh, youth with significant exposure to sexuality in the media are consistently more likely to have intercourse before the age of 14. The average person today has sex for the first time at age 16. Uh, other stats, 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is one of the most damaging issues to their congregations. But the flip side of that is one-third of evangelical pastors have a porn problem themselves. 
The number one day of the week for porn being downloaded is Sunday, which is tragic when people ought to be worshiping Jesus. Instead, they're staying at home and they're doing this. Uh, pornography also leads to sexual abuse, abductions, sex slavery, rapes, murders, etc. All that just to establish it's a really huge problem in our culture. You understand that by looking at those figures. So let's move from talking about porn statistically to look at porn theologically. And like I said, that simply means what God thinks about it. See, it really doesn't matter what you think, and it really doesn't matter what I think, and it really doesn't matter what Hollywood says, and it really doesn't matter what our culture says. What really matters is what God says. You realize that's the case. And when we start to look at what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about an issue like pornography, number one, you're going to come up probably with this as you read the Scriptures, porn, pornography is coveting. It's coveting. We dealt with that last week from the standpoint of someone, you know, coveting uh, another person and having their own sexual type relationship with someone that they're not married to. Well, the, the Bible tells us in, in the Ten Commandments, and by the way, guys, the Ten Commandments were not some, you know, spoil sport type of rule trying to hurt our fun. It's to help us. It's for our benefit also. The Ten Commandments are not there either for us to use as a stairway to heaven. None of us can be good enough to go to heaven on our own. We're all sinners. Jesus died for us on the cross. That's our only hope of heaven is faith in Him. But that doesn't mean you throw the Ten Commandments out with a wash and say they're not needed. They are needed because they help us with issues, moral issues in our lives. And the Bible says, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. So in other words, if you apply that to pornography, that's really what's taking place. Pornography is designed to make you covet. I mean, if you're having a thought in your mind, I wonder what it would be like to be with this person, and it's not someone that you're married to, then you don't have any right to be lusting after somebody that you're not married to. Because it is coveting. You're taking the complete wrong approach to it. You're coveting something that does not belong to you. And, and that's the way you have it set up in, in pornography. It's designed to get somebody to covet something that's not theirs. It's designed to get someone to lust for something that's not theirs. And, and I want to revisit something I said last week. You see, the, the issue with that is this. The, the standard of beauty that you and I ought to have as believers, is not some image, it's not some video, it's not something our culture is saying ought to be the standard of beauty. The standard of beauty that you ought to have is your spouse. The standard of beauty for you guys is your wife. The standard of beauty for, for you ladies is your husband. And we dealt with that last week from looking at Genesis because when, when God made Eve, he didn't come to Adam and say, you want a redhead, you want a blonde, you know, you, you want an Asian, you want a span. He, he just gave Eve to her. That, and that was the standard of beauty. And that's the way it ought to be for us. Our standard of beauty ought to be our spouse. You know, the standard of beauty should be your spouse. When she's 25, your wife at 25 is the standard of beauty for you. When she's 85, your wife at 85 is a standard of beauty for you. When, when, you know, when your spouse is skinny, and, you know, you're into skinny, and that's your standard of beauty. When your spouse was formerly skinny, and now you're into you know, to, to someone that may not be skinny anymore, the standard of beauty is that is your, your spouse. You see, pornography does exactly the opposite. Pornography wants to give you a menu of options, doesn't it? You know, do, do you want to see this type of act? Do you, do you want to see, you know, redheads, blondes, you know, uh, you know, different nationalities, whatever the case is? It's designed to give someone options that they're not supposed to have to start with. And the thing that's so frustrating about it is that it presents it in a way to where people buy into, this is how my life ought to be, and realistically, that's not how your life really is. That's, that's not how it actually works out in life many times. Pornography gives you know, a, a menu that's just not there. It's not realistic in normal life. You see, God created sex and the passions and the pleasures involved with it for marriage. He didn't do it for a screen or a magazine or, or, or a video or a computer. He did it for you to practice in marriage. And anything outside of that is coveting. God says we're not covet. Porn also, if we're going to look at it theologically, scripturally, what God has to say about pornography, pornography would also be adultery. Now, someone's going to push back on that probably and say, well, now, hey, all I do is look and kind of think about it. I'm not really you know, committing adultery with that person. You need to view what Jesus says here. 
You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That was a standard, you know, kind of the culture in that day, you know, would have been, well, we're not really doing it. We're just looking, you know, and kind of the standard that people have today. You know, it's wrong to commit adultery. But see, Jesus takes it to a higher level because the level that Jesus takes it to is where the problem begins. And Jesus says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, notice what Jesus says, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so guys, you know, am I to believe what culture says, or am I to make excuses for myself, or you make excuses for yourself and say, I'm just looking, there's nothing wrong with it, or are we to understand that Jesus said, if you look upon a woman in lust after her, as far as he's concerned, you committed adultery already in your heart. You, you've already sinned. You see, the, the, the reason it's, it's a big problem, too, is what you put in your heart a lot of times, guess what? It'll wind up being acted out in your life also. But whether it's acted out or not, Jesus is saying it's wrong. If you, if you look and lust after someone that you're not married to, he said it's as though you've committed adultery already in your heart. And then Jesus goes on. I mean, he doesn't stop there. Sometimes we don't keep reading, you know. We'll stop there and maybe think, well, man, I didn't like that. I don't want the rest of it. Man, look, back, back up. One, back up one slide, please. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, that's a tender lamb of God saying that. What did he just say before it? If you look upon somebody and lust after you, you commit adultery hard in your heart, and, and then he's saying, hey, if, you're, if your eyes really cause you that much problem, and he's not wanting you to literally do that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Look, look what else he says as we read on. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. What Jesus is saying is this. Don't let your eye cause you to go to hell. Don't let what you look at cause you to go to hell. Don't let what you lust for cause you to go to hell. See, Jesus is making this a very serious situation here. He's saying that it's not just an innocent little thing to think it doesn't matter as long as you look and you not act. Jesus is saying it is wrong for you to look into lust. He clearly says it's like you've committed adultery already in your heart. It's so serious. He's giving us a warning. Don't let it cause you to go down a path that could cause you to miss heaven and go to hell. Look at what Jesus says about the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. See, the God's desire is for us to have purity in our hearts. That's what Jesus is telling us. And then he goes on later on in, in Matthew, and he says this. Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. That's why we need to be careful what we put in here and store inside of our heart because what we put in our heart pops out. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart shall come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. You see, it's a huge problem what you are putting in here all the time and what you're storing in your heart because if you're not very careful, it will cause it to be acted out in your life. Jesus also said this in Luke 12, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, or there will your heart be also. So think about our topic this morning. We're talking about pornography, you know, whether it's right or wrong. You know, Jesus said it's wrong to look and lust. It's like you've already committed adultery. So, you know, pornography is like adultery. But ask yourself this, where, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Are, are you treasuring pornography or are you treasuring Jesus? Are, are, you, are you treasuring, you know, looking at sexuality in a worldly way, a wrong way, and that's what you want to hold to? Or are you treasuring Jesus or are you putting him first? And you see, that's a very important question because pornography also is, is this. It's not just coveting and it's not just adultery. It's also idolatry, idolatry. We looked at idolatry last week, and we looked at this same verse last week applying to the, you know, to, to sex outside the marriage that someone is practicing and lusting and everything outside the marriage. Paul writes these words, and he's using a history lesson to write to a church at Corinth that was a, in a very, you know, sexually driven culture, and, and he writes about something that happened in the time of Moses in the in the children of Israel. 
And he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. You know, God is, is viewing it as though it's idolatry. So here, here's the, the point of that. You'll, you'll try and say, well, you know, I'm not really worshiping it, but if you know it's wrong... And Jesus said it's coveting, it's wrong to lust. And, and, and Jesus also, you know, let, lets us know that it's adultery. It's like committing adultery in your heart. And you choose to do it anyway. What you've done is take pornography or anything else in your life that you put in front of Jesus, that you put more important in your life than God, and you turn it into a form of an idol. The, the Bible told us in, in, in the Ten Commandments we're not to do that. I wonder if Paul, you know, he's writing to these people at Corinth. I just wonder if Paul, if he, he's writing to a church, I said, that was very, you know, sexually driven because they even had temple prostitutes in, in their heathen worship and, and uh, you know, things like that. I, I just wonder if Paul were to visit our culture today and see strip clubs, if he wouldn't look at a strip club and say, that's a pagan temple. Or I wonder if the Apostle Paul were to see some of the pornography online, if he might not say, that's like a temple prostitute that's performing there. Paul says they're guilty of idolatry, and the Ten Commandments tell us this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now stop there for a minute. God's saying, I rescued you, I saved you, I brought you out of Egypt, so you ought to kind of value me. And then he goes on. By the way... All of us were in bondage to sin. And when we trusted Christ as our Savior, He brought us out of sin. Amen? So we ought to value Him. Out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And like I said, some will say, but I'm just looking. I'm not really worshiping. But the, the issue is this. If you are putting that person or that image or that thing first in your life before God, it's the same thing as being guilty of idolatry. We looked at Romans chapter 1 last week. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is saying that people are guilty of worshiping the creature instead of the created. And that also includes this imagery that we're talking about. You're, you're looking at that at that, at that body, you're looking at that image that's been presented on a magazine or on a screen or whatever the case might be. And it's the same thing as though you're allowing that to have a place in your heart that God is to have. If you go surfing online and buy the magazines or the videos or whatever it is, and you understand it's wrong because God says it's wrong and you continue to do it, it's like you're saying, God, this is more important than you are. Jesus, this is more important than you are. And it's like a form of idolatry. Not just porn, statistically and porn, theologically, what God has to say about it, but I want us to look for a minute at, at porn truthfully also. I, I want us to just be really clear and, and honest about some things. There's, there, there's no such thing as free porn. And the reason I'm bringing that up is some people may have the excuse, well, I'm not really paying you know, I, I mean, there, there are sites that are free, so I'm not really paying to, you know, for it. So I'm not really, like, helping out and, and supporting the industry and things. It's just telling me looking. Well, you see, if it says it's free, the thing about it you need to understand, somebody's paying for the time, so there's some kind of advertiser that's actually paying for you to have the time that's there, that you're using yourself. And it's never free because, to be honest with you, it's going to hurt Somebody, it's going to affect somebody in a very negative way. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your job if you're caught at work looking at pornography. You could lose your testimony. You, you, you could lose your family uh, over that. But it also is not free from this standpoint. If you are someone that's supporting, even if you say, well, it's free, I'm not having to pay for it. If you are helping to support that type of culture, you're also helping to support the same culture that is causing people to be abducted and abused and hurt and looked at less than being a human being, looked at a sexual object and all kinds of things. It, it's never free. You understand what I'm saying? Porn is not free. That's the truth. So 
you know, having said that, I, I, I know there you know, may be a chance that someone here may, uh, may be asking in their mind, uh, all right, you know, Lynn, are, are you saying then that there's no benefit and no good from pornography in any way whatsoever for my marriage? In other words, is, is it, you know, you're saying it's no good that me and my wife can even look at it. There's no benefit from it. There's no good that will come from it at all. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, so let me be clear. Yes, that's what I'm saying. There, there's no benefit from it. And you see, a lot of times it's, it's, it's where we position ourselves and how we view it that, that brings clarity to how we ought to view something. For, for, you know, for us guys here for a minute, imagine this. Imagine somebody you know, shows up wanting to date your daughter and you're interviewing the person. You know, you're talking to them some, and you're kind of, you know, asking them, well, tell me, you know, what this is going to be like. You know, how, how are you going to date my daughter and things like that. And let's say the guy responded to you and said, I'm going to watch a lot of pornography online so I can figure out how to get really close to your daughter. That has some clarity, doesn't it? Hey, I used to joke with my daughters when the guy showed up wanting to date them that I was going to clean my gun collection. You know, as I talked to him, interview him, kind of spin the cylinder and look at him through the cylinder and stuff like that. Hey, if I had ever interviewed one and they told me that, guess what? They would see my gun collection. And they would have the fastest exit out of my home that anyone has ever had. If I ever had someone to come in and say, I want to date your daughter. Here's how I'm going to figure out how to really love them and get close to them. I'm just going to watch pornography online and figure it out. All of the guys in here, if you're going to be the kind of dad you're supposed to be, you're going to kick his butt out of the house. Amen? Doesn't that add some clarity how we ought to view it? Because, you see, it's almost like we're saying, well, God, I, I know what you want, but, you know, I, but I'm going to do this anyway. And we'll come up with all kinds of excuses. If you were giving counsel to your own children, what kind of counsel would you give your child? So if you would give your you know, counsel to your children, you don't need to watch that, then we ought to take the same counsel. Or if you've got a friend or a brother or sister or somebody struggling with and you're trying to help them out, and you'd give them, you know, the, the counsel, you'd try and give them the good, right type of counsel, then we ought to take it ourselves. Guys, can I really add some clarity to it for us? What if that girl online was your daughter? Does that give you the perspective we ought to have? how we ought to view it. And before anyone starts thinking, well, yeah, but, but you're a preacher and you're just trying to be you know, negative and judgmental and self-righteous and everything like that. No, I'm not. Because I understand, because when I was in the sixth grade, I had a cousin that was older than me, exposed me to pornography for the first time. And you get exposed to that in the sixth grade. And it wasn't just once, it was more than that. And it, it will affect the way you think. You get exposed to it at that age, it will affect the way you think and the way you view things and cause you to struggle for years and years and have to really try and guard what you look at with your eyes. Now, I'm not sitting here being self-righteous and judgmental toward anyone here. I understand, but I also understand what God's view is. And, and we need to have as our standard and, and, and strive ourselves to understand that pornography is not okay. It's not something that's just between you and a computer screen or you and a magazine. That, that pornography is something that God says is the same thing as lusting and coveting for something that's not yours. It's the same thing as committing adultery in your heart. It's the same thing as idol worship because you're putting that in a more important position in your life than God. And just in case you're saying, well, well, the preacher, I've already made the mistake. I've already bought in. I've already dived in. I've built my life around pornography and everything else. I, can, I, can I tell you something? Is this what we're going to talk about the rest of the time? Theology can overcome your biology. God's Word. And, and, and you trust in Christ and follow in Christ and staying close to Him can change your life. It can help you 
get over this stuff that you are facing and dealing with. So we're going to spend the, the next few minutes talking about disgrace and grace. Like I said in the book, he talks about this first. I think it's logical to talk about pornography and then talk about this because, you see, it's not just people who have been sinned against sexually. It's not just people who have actually maybe abused someone else that might have disgrace in their life and they need to, to bring grace to bear. It's also people that are guilty because they've looked at wrong stuff, because they bought in to that. They need to experience grace in their life also. You understand what it's like to experience disgrace. All of us have made poor choices. It might not have been in the sexual realm for you. It might have been in some other realm. But all of us are sinners. All of us fall short. All of us understand what it is to have shame and disgrace in our life. So I want you to see two main things. And then on the second thing, I want you to see a couple of really important uh, sub-points that go with it. But as we think about disgrace and grace, I want you to understand something. There is grace and forgiveness for the sinner. Amen? Amen? Thank God for that, right? Thank God there's grace and forgiveness for the sinner because all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. Might not be in the area that we're talking about today, but all of us ought to be super thankful that God has grace and forgiveness available for us because we've all sinned. We all fall short of His glory. Look what the the Bible says here. First John, we're going to kind of just pull it out in segments. In uh, in First John chapter one verse nine. See, if you're someone that's feeling guilty because of pornography, you've dived in, or you're feeling a lot of disgrace in your life because of sexual sin, or even feeling disgrace in your life because you've been abused sexually and you've not got over it yet. There's a lot of reasons why we might need. Grace, because we've got disgrace in our lives. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we're open and honest, we, we talk to God about it. God, this is who I am. This is where I, I'm at. See, God knows already. You understand that? He knows. If we confess our sins, He's faithful. Can, can, how many people here, just raise your hand, can give a testimony that God's a faithful God? Amen? Man, he's been faithful. Aren't you glad he's faithful? Other people might be unfaithful to you, but God will never be unfaithful to you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. In other words, he's going to always do the right thing as a way to look at that word just. To do this, to forgive us our sins. You don't have to walk around with the shame and the disgrace of your sin on your shoulders all of your life. You can confess to God, and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, notice this, and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness, from part of it, from a little bit, for every now and then when we make a mistake, He might forgive us. What does the Bible say? He will cleanse us from all. Amen. Thank God for that. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at the next verse. Actually, it comes before the one we just read a couple of verses before. It says, if we walk in the light. In other words, we're not trying to hide who we are in the dark. We're willing to walk in the light, in God's light, expose who we are. As we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I, I can have fellowship with the Holy God by being honest and, and putting my faith in Christ. I can fellowship with the Holy God. You can have fellowship better than maybe you're having fellowship now with your spouse through honesty. You can have fellowship with other people, you know, through honesty. As we'll walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the key to this. Look at the key to it. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. To see, I understand with the topic that we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks because a lot of people have sexual sin in their lives and a lot of people you know, have, have bought in to, to viewing pornography and thinking it's okay and allowing it to be a substitute for what God really wants in, in your life and, and things like that. A lot of people have fallen prey to that in our culture today. You need to understand that there is forgiveness available to you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Now, I'm not being an advocate of you say, God, I'm sorry, and keep doing it. 
But I want you to understand that no matter where you are and what you've done and how far short you have fallen in your life, there is forgiveness and cleansing from all sin. Not only is there grace and forgiveness for the sinner, there's also grace and freedom for the sexual assault victim. Things get swept under the rug in church a lot, don't they? Don't talk much in churches about sexual assault victims and things like that, and yet it hits the news. If you got some spiritual leader have sexual failure and, and, and sin in his life, it hits the news. How often, you know, have we heard in some denominations over the last few years to where, you know, some where priests are not allowed to marry and things like that, and, and yet all this hits about, you know, uh, children and, and little boys being sexually molested and things like that. I've got a little bit of a theory. It's just, a, you know, Lynn Parsons' theory. It may not mean a whole lot, but I've got a little bit of a theory uh, why that happens uh, sometimes in that area. And I think it's because they don't have the right biblical view of sex. There's not anything wrong with sex between a married man and a married woman who are married to each other. So since they've been told to stuff it down and act like they don't have those desires and everything, they try and hide it, you know, the way they approach it when honestly as long as you practice it in the right way, can be enjoyed before God with no shame. I honestly think that might be what's taking place behind the scene that causes some of those things to take place. But there's grace and freedom from the sexual assault, the, you know, for the sexual assault victim. I'm, if, if you're here, and, and, and guys, unless there's someone that's talked to me, I don't know anything, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable or anything like that, and I'm not trying to minimize at all what you've been through, but I am telling you, you know, God has grace and freedom to get you beyond it. And you need to let God get you beyond whatever it is that's happened to you. Whatever somebody else has done to you. Get a, a definition of sexual assault for a minute. It comes from a book called Rid of My Disgrace by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. And here's the definition they give. Any type of sexual behavior or conduct or contact where consent is not freely given or obtained and is accomplished through force intimidation, violence, coercion, manipulation, threat, deception, or an abuse of authority because the person's in a place of authority and they use that authority to, to, to try and, and, and coerce someone into doing something that they, that they should not do. That's the definition. It's not just rape. You see, sometimes we just think, oh, if someone rapes somebody, they're, they're a sexual assault victim. No, it goes deeper than that, you know, wider than that. It, it involves a lot more. Uh, than, than just that. Here's some statistics involved with it. One in four women have been sexually assaulted. The younger they are, the more likely it is to happen. One in six men have been sexually assaulted. Men don't talk a lot about it. It might be a higher number than that, but men don't talk a lot about it because they're men and pride. They try and keep from talking about things uh, like that. Uh, Ten to 14% of married women are sexually assaulted by their own husbands. And that means they're they're not as victims. It means they're married to their abuser, and, and they live in the same home, almost like being in prison with the one that's that's abusing them, over and over. So how how do we deal with this then? How how can you find freedom and you know and, and, and grace from God to get over what's happened to you? Number one, you, you need to do this. You need to remember that Jesus forgives all sin. Amen. We just talked about it a moment ago. We just saw it in, in, in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses from all sin. We just talked about that. Now, I understand this is a tough statement, but it's still a true statement. Jesus forgives all sin. So you, as someone who is a forgiven sinner, you also have to be willing to forgive your abuser. Because if you're not willing to forgive your abuser, I'm not saying you let them off scot-free. But listen, if God gives you grace because of Jesus and you're a sinner in different areas and you were allowed to experience forgiveness in your life, you need to be willing to let somebody else experience forgiveness in their life. So if they come to Jesus, your abuser can have his life changed just as much as you had your life changed. But here's the, here's the honest truth about forgiveness. 
The person that abused you may never come to Jesus. They may never say they're sorry. You know, they may never change their actions or even admit that they've done anything wrong to you. That does not mean that it's okay for you still not to forgive them. And here's why. Forgiveness is not about setting the other person scot-free. Forgiveness is for you yourself to where you don't hold on to it and have bitterness in your heart. Think about it. If somebody has abused you and you hate what happened to you, you hate what somebody else has done to you, and they, they, they've abused you sexually, and it's in your mind, you hate that. If you fail to forgive, and you constantly have it like a merry-go-around going on in your mind over and over and over again, like a, like a rerun of a film going over and over in your mind, you know what you're doing? You're allowing the person that hurt you years ago to still have power over you. And you don't need to let that person still have power over you. That's why I said you need to forgive and let it go for your own benefit. Not only do you need to forgive your abuser, secondly, you can have grace and get beyond what's happened to you. Uh, By the way, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. So I think we ought to... Uh, have forgiven spirits. Look at what they did to Jesus, how they violated him. You know, he was really abused and violated probably more than anybody. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. But look, look at the next point here. Jesus not only takes your sin, Jesus takes all shame. Jesus did take your sin to the cross, but he also took your shame to the cross when, when he died there. So since Jesus also takes takes the shame, you need to forgive yourself and give up your shame. Instead of holding on to it and allowing your, your shame to make you limp through life, to, to weigh you down, to be a burden in your heart, you need to turn loose of it because Jesus, yes, He took your sin, but He also takes your shame. You've really got two choices. And then we're going to look at Hebrews, and, I, and I'll tell you why you've got two choices. You've got two choices. Choice number one is you can continue to look at your shame. You can continue to hold on to your shame. You can stay focused on your shame and hold on to, to your shame. Next slide. You can stay focused on your shame and hold on to your shame. That's one choice that you have. Or the second choice, and the one that I recommend, you can focus on Jesus and lay aside your shame. Here's why I say that. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Stop there for a minute. Isn't shame and guilt in your life like a weight? It bogs you down, you carry it around, and and, and it kind of makes you limp around with it. So let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. I mean, we're not just talking about the, the shame that you may have because of what somebody's done for you or done to you. We're also talking about the shame that you may experience in your life from your own poor choices. And when you've got active sin there and you're guilty for it, man, it's, it's right there, isn't it? It stays right with you. So let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and let us run, not limp. Not, not, you know, act like we can barely struggle through life. He, he wants us to run for Him with freedom. Run with endurance. Don't allow what's happened to you or what you have done yourself. Don't allow it to stop you in your tracks. Don't allow it to just ruin your life. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has a purpose for your life, a race that He has for you to run. And you can't run it very well if you've got this shame attached to you. Look into what? What does it say? Look into look into who? Does it say look into your abuser? It doesn't say looking to your sin either, to what you've done. It doesn't say focused on that which is making you constantly deal with shame and be ashamed of what's happened in your life. You see, that's what we're prone to do. Some of you that might have experienced sexual abuse in your life, what you tend to do in your mind is stay focused on the abuse and stay focused on your abuser. And as long as you do that, you're not going to move forward. What you must learn to do is to look at Jesus instead. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He went to the cross and he carried your shame and my shame upon himself. Yes, our sins, but also our shame. And they took him and they buried him and they thought they were done with him. But the Bible goes on and says, And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. They abused Jesus more than you and I have ever been abused. He was abused verbally and physically and beaten and nailed to a cross and thrown in a tomb. And there he was buried. He's the ultimate victim. If you want to talk about someone being victimized, Jesus Christ is the ultimate victim. But Jesus, on the other side of it all, took his life back up on the third day, ascended, and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus made it through all the abuse that he faced. And what I'm trying to get you to see is this. The same Jesus that took all of our shame and all of our sin and took his life back up on the third day, that same Jesus can help you get beyond your shame if you'll let him do it. He can get you beyond whatever has happened to you in your life if you will allow him to help get you through to the other side of the shame that you're experiencing. Jesus took all your shame on the cross And that means you need to give it to him and look to him and run instead of being burdened and weighted down by the shame and the guilt of what's happened in your life. Main message, I guess, today is this. You need to give your life to Jesus, not give your life to pornography, not give your life to sexual immorality, but you need to give your life to Jesus. It's who you need to give your life to. Don't allow sexual sin to mold your life. Don't sell out for a cheap substitute. Instead, you as a married couple, if in fact you're, you're here and you're married, you, you need to go for what's real, for what God gave you to enjoy in your life, not settle for some cheap substitute. God's giving you the real thing in your spouse. So the first main part of the message is simply this today. Give your life to Jesus, not these other things. The second, I I guess, main point, I want to be sure that you understand and grab from all I've said in, in the second part of the message is this. You need to experience God's grace to the fullest degree and get over the shame. Whatever's causing your shame, whether it be you, know, you haven't lived a life of looking at pornography, whether it be you, you know, have been involved in sexual sin yourself, whether it be that you have faced sexual abuse from somebody else, whatever it is, you need to learn how to apply God's grace in such a huge way that you get beyond all the shame in your life. Let's pray. Father, God, first of all, Lord, I just feel burdened to pray for the men. Father, I pray that you'll help us and that you'll guard our eyes and guard our thoughts and guard our hearts. Help us that we'll not be guilty of coveting and and committing adultery in our in our hearts. God I, God, I pray that for the women here also. But Lord, especially the men, because I, I know just statistic-wise, it's, it's the men that wrestle with this more. Father, I, God, I pray you guard us that what we put in our heart and what comes out of our heart will be that that glorifies you. Father, help us to understand that there's no such thing as free pornography, that it hurts many people. God, help us to view it as though it's our own daughter and change our perspective and understand how damaging this is. God, I pray for the ladies. Father, I pray, first of all, you'd protect them from abuse. I pray those that have been abused already that God somehow right now, if they have never before experienced freedom and release from what's happened to them, God, I pray that you you give it to them right now. Help them to stop looking 
at the abuse and the abuser and instead look to you and run the race that you've got before them. Father, there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior. Father, I pray you speak to their heart right now and show them their only hope, their only chance is Jesus. For those of us that know you, that have dishonored you, God, forgive us and help us to change. Help us to honor you in all that we do. Because you loved us so much, you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right before Jill sings, a couple things. One, first service I stopped them about halfway through the song. Because people were looking like deer in the headlights, you know? I understand that, but I also understand because there's grace and forgiveness available with what she's singing about. If you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to sing. So don't stand there and not sing with her. Second thing I want to say is this. I understand also when the topic is something like this, there's a lot of pressure not to move. Because you're afraid somebody's going to think, if I step out, if I come kneel, if I go talk to the pastor, if I come ask for prayer, they're going to think I'm struggling with that or someone's done something to me or whatever the case is. Can I tell you something? Everybody here is screwed up. Okay? I mean, I, that's coy language, I understand, but I'm just being honest. All of us are sinners. All of us need grace for various reasons. And right now, all, we do, all we're doing is asking you to listen to God. And, and if there's something that you need to pray about and come kneel about, I, no one here is going to sit in judgment over you because we're all saved by grace. None of us are perfect. And if you have a reason that you need to come and pray and God tells you to do it, don't let the topic push back at you to where you think, oh, no, I'm not coming today. God tells you to come. It's your time to come. You understand that? You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com.